My name is Stephen Ozibo. I am the CEO of the African Technology Foundation and the managing partner for the Lions Africa Initiative. Tell us a little bit about Lions Africa and what being managing partner involves. Absolutely. Lions Africa is the platform for innovation, which is backed by the U.S. State Department. Um, it's uh, out of the Office of Global Partnerships. And uh, Demo Africa is one of our flagship events. And uh, what happens with this is we are following the global process of creating Launchpad for emergent technology companies. And Demo is in its fifth year. Uh, the first two years were in Nairobi, and then we had two years in Lagos. This is our first time in South Africa. It won't be our last. We're hoping to come back again. Whoopee! <laughs> Sorry for, to the rest of Africa. <laughs> but no, but I mean, certainly uh, if, we, if we do this right, then uh, we will definitely be around the block uh, a few times. And uh, what it is is, you know, we've done East Africa, we've done West Africa. So let's, let's come down south and then let's go up north. Well, let's talk about um, a little background on you before we talk about the specifics of business that's being done at, at the conference. Um, you've got quite an extensive history as an investment consultant, a background in, uh, uh, in advisory. Uh, talk us through the journey to, to landing uh, you know, the spot you, you now inhabit, or at least the, the role you now inhabit with Lions. Absolutely. My background started uh, professionally with investment banking, and um, I have an MBA in global business. Part of my MBA I did in China, so I've always been sort of like uh, a global citizen. And uh, right after the 2008 crash, of course, um, my career pivoted into what I would call foreign direct investment advisory. And Sorry, did you crash with it? Well, you can say that. Uh, you can say that. 2008, I don't know that if there was any banker in the world who um, had a claim to fame. You know, and the ones that did are currently in jail. So that's how far I can go with that story. <laughs> so happily, happily, you're definitely not on the jail side and you're on the, on the other side of the bars, which, <laughs> which is to say you, you survived and none the worse for way, for the way I can tell. No, thankfully so, because um, there were good times. Uh, there were good times prior to that. Uh, there were bad times immediately following that. And uh, the pivot allowed for that to happen because once you're comfortable with certain aspects of global um, financial transactions, moving over to Europe and starting to advise governments in the EU about innovation and investment uh, came easier for me. And um, for five years, I was the uh, FDI manager for the government of Catalonia in Spain. And um, within that period, uh, investment management and advisory for all of the star startups uh, out of Barcelona, Catalonia, that we brought out. And um, that particular process really gave me the impetus to build a portfolio of companies of my own. Uh, so I became an angel investor in looking at uh, certain parts of um, that ecosystem. And being African, of, uh, of course, I was born in Nigeria. So being African, these were parts of the experiences I needed to have to do what I'm doing now because there was no way I could have come back to Africa and said, look, give me your money. I need to manage it for you or here I want to invest in so-and-so company without really um, chipping my teeth, really. So uh, here we are. I, I'm building portfolio companies. I'm making investments in some of them. And we started now to look at, okay, what's next? The State Department and, and the White House and USAID and the other agencies that we advise, 
These are all agencies who are doing fantastic work in Africa, but sometimes uh, need the in-betweens. And, um, you know, we're proud to be managing partners for the Lions Africa Initiative now. But um, it's also been a long time coming because we've been supporting them since day one. Given your, your, your position, you interact with various elements of the tech ecosystem, elements that often view each other with some level of, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say suspicion, but certainly a certain tentativeness, perhaps. And I think what Demo Africa does, in my opinion, is bring the various stakeholders in our ecosystem together to have conversations they might not otherwise have as easily. Tell me some of the challenges in engaging the various aspects of, of the ecosystem. You, you mentioned uh, public organizations and, and, and NPOs, and then there's you know, the you know, venture capital community, the angel investment community, and of course the startup community. And then of course perhaps you know, the enterprise community as a whole that's trying to hang on for dear life and not be disrupted and and an event like this probably gives you a bird's eye view of what every, everyone's pain points are and what they need to get out of everything. What, what's your sense of how the dialogue between all these parties, how, how well that dialogue is going? That, that's a, a great question. Um, let's start with uh, the fact that Africa is not a monolith and uh, it's 55 countries. So for, for the most part, when people look at Africa and discuss certain things with a single brushstroke, that in itself is a problem, right? The ecosystem issue, or not even issue, the ecosystem opportunity as you portrayed it, is somewhere, uh, even in the United States, I, I said it on stage yesterday, I said, I represent the interests between Africa and Silicon Valley, but not Africa and Mississippi, not Africa and Ohio, right? Because I'm looking at uh, the mecca of innovation. But the Silicon Valley is not even a state it's it's part of california california as a state gives us hollywood it gives us silicon valley it also gives us agriculture the uh, you know a lot of 95 percent of wine in in america is made in california people don't realize that or you know so what am i trying to say here that each member each participant each node within this ecosystem has a role to play and all of those roles are aggregated into what could be the success of Africa's burgeoning technology ecosystem. It's early days. It's very much early days. So for what seems like organized confusion, what we're really trying to do is knowing that everybody plays a part, pick up your tools and go to work. Because the convening power that the likes of Demo Africa can bring can only do so much. Right. We all still need to try and work things on a regional level, on a local level, and maybe sometimes to a municipal level. Um, a few years ago, I was, here in Cape, I was here in South Africa, but down in Cape Town, and I was you know, at Stellenbosch University looking at what they were doing with, with entrepreneurs and technology um, on their campus. Wonderful work. You know, and that's separated from everything else going on with the GSB at the University of Cape Town and everything else that's going on even with Silicon Cape and the likes. But the ecosystem needs a combination of all three or four of them, right? So we still have to make sure that the support environments, the enabling environments for all stakeholders within the e ecosystem is right. And um, again, apologies to anyone who looks at it like organized confusion. Let's just call it a work in progress. And I suppose um, 
you know, I'm looking up at the at, at the logo with some of the sponsors, you know, the sponsors' names wrapped around the lights over there, and and I realize the one thing that you've been able to do, perhaps more successfully than than other platforms, is engage government in a meaningful way. In a way, as someone who lives in Johannesburg, I haven't quite seen done in a way before with the city of Joburg coming online. And what do you think is the, the role of of uh, government and, and government entities and certainly uh, you know government organizations cities municipalities and that and the like what do you think their role ought to be in trying to uh, you know grease the the, the wheels so to speak grease the the spokes it's 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 a critical role it's a critical role and it's one where we we must all respect government for the fact that government is people you know what i mean it's it's there's no such thing as government as an entity government is a set of people and activities. So we must respect uh, the, the stakeholders who have chosen that line of work. But then we almost also must um, encourage them to catch up sometimes and in sometimes slow down, depending on where they're going and where, how fast they're going. My, my usual advice for government is there's nothing worse than going fast in the wrong direction. Because if you're going fast in the wrong direction, you've got to come back to where you started in order to go right in the right direction. So if you look at the Lions Africa Initiative, I'm here as a representative of the U.S. State Department, because, and that's a government program. That's, a, that's the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the U.S. government that's looking at Africa and knowing that African innovation can be global. That's, that's a, a major responsibility to take on a role like this because it's my role as an African to make sure that all of my African brothers and sisters who we select to bring to Silicon Valley, who we select to expand all over the world, actually deliver. Now, for me to do that successfully, I need to turn back to the local ecosystems, right? All politics is local, right? I need to turn back to those local ecosystems and work with city governments, work with national governments, so that we can support local innovation departments, associations, agencies within government and help them do what they need to do right. We also need to support universities, public and private, right? We need to support innovation hubs, public and private. These are all collaborative environments that we would work with government on. But government also needs to invest in innovation, right? Yesterday I, I stated to the city of Johannesburg, I said, look, the next problems you're trying to solve create open innovation uh, environments where the citizens can supply you with technologies and solutions, right? Let your procurement feel like a hackathon, even though I don't like to use the word hackathon, but let it, let it feel like that. Because out of the 27 companies around you today, I bet you that over 50% of them have solutions that can be contextualized to one government issue or the other. And these are things that government just needs to be open to, to allow it to thrive. Well, let's talk about some buzzwords in the space. You've mentioned one hackathon, uh, innovation competitions, pitching contests, uh, you know, demo days. Um, there's some that are quite cynical about the actual impact, rubber meets road impact these initiatives have and, and perhaps the, the PR spin that is typically linked to them you know, with the sponsors that come on board and, and what we sometimes see as very little to show after they happen. The first thing is... I apologize when I use the word hackathon because um, it is misconstrued. It, it is, uh, it, it's somewhat of a falsehood sometimes. And you're right. It's really about what next, 
right? And in our world, the Silicon Valley and the rest of the world and the innovation ecosystems are also guilty of uh, some of these because sometimes it's about crowdsourcing ideas. Like when you have a corporate innovation program where Mercedes-Benz wants to bring 30 startups together and puts up $50,000 as a prize money and all they want to do is have them pitch and then a winner gets a 50000 big check and stands on stage to rock music. What they just did was they just crowdsourced a bunch of ideas because for them they have their R&D team sitting on the side and just waiting for startups to come through and they're like, oh, that sounds nice, oh, that sounds nice and then we'll, we'll kind of weave them all together into one thing. So there's that part of it. There's a, there's a business-driven motivation to it. However, when you start looking at innovation competitions, there are two, there's always the um, unintended consequence. Uh, the, 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 the positive is that, um, you know, innovation begets innovation. The negative is you might breed a set of competition entrepreneurs who are not doing anything else than preparing for the next competition so they can get on stage. That's not a business. So we want to be careful uh, what we are breeding in, in a general sense. Uh, put that together and you find that um, these things have to happen for you to filter. Because if you don't iterate around what works best, then you'll never know. It's never, cu it's never cut and paste, right? Um, I still, there's still videos around the Internet of when Airbnb were pitching all over technology conferences around Silicon Valley. And investors were saying no. There's still videos around the internet where Airbnb pitched and an investor said, really, that's what you're going to do? You should go find a job. And here they are, a multi-billion dollar company, and somebody took a risk in them. So if it came down to just a process, some of these startups need to actually get around for people to see them, know them, answer questions, and for investors to take that risk. But I agree with you in saying, let us be careful of the unintended consequence of just... Um, having people pitch for pitch sake, because, because that's never good. You had the unique experience of, of, of being involved in, on the tech scene in Europe, in the U.S., as well as on the continent. Um, compare and contrast, if you like, um, some of the, or at least perhaps what are some of the, the, the obvious differences in mindset and approach to, to innovation that you've observed, say, in Europe, the U.S., and Africa? Uh, and perhaps what are the areas most misunderstood about each of the ecosystems you found in each area? So Europe, perhaps about America, America about Europe and Africa, and Africa about Europe and America. Uh, this will surprise your audience. In my experience around the world, here's one thing that's common. An early stage startup entrepreneur, most of the time, they all lack the same things. They all lack the business acumen sometimes. They all lack the network of support systems. They all lack capital sometimes they all lack um, uh, the mentorships right and that's flat across the board I don't care who you are right but when you take that and you start looking at their their local ecosystems then you find that an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley roll he wakes up he rolls out of bed he opens up his MacBook and he has connectivity Right. And it is often a he and not a she. Or <laughs> oh, no, no. I am a feminist. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're on air, I'm a feminist. So that's not to be misinterpreted. It's a he or she. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. So the, 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 the idea here is that you roll out of bed and you're connected. So you don't have 
bandwidth issues, you don't have data plan issues, you don't have power issues. Um, the guy next to you in your co-working space is trying to build something as well. You guys can sit down and powwow, right? So there's this collaborative type environment where people always feel free to share. That culture, that sharing culture is one thing that's not common in certain ecosystems outside of Silicon Valley, right? People just don't feel the ultra, ultra need to be secretive and wall themselves out. Rather, people feel the need to bounce things off, collaborate and see, okay, if you're doing it better than me, why don't I use your service, right? That's why you have companies like Slack, right? The, the, what the technology that Slack brings is something that every, every company needs, but now companies are going, you know what? I'm not going to build that. I'm just going to use Slack. And now Slack is going out the door because everybody's using them. It's the same type of thing. Inside of the same ecosystem, you have your customers, you have your partners, you have your competitors, you have your friends, you have your capitalists. So while we look at Africa and some other parts of the world, look at China now. China has a lot of money, but China is still looking for its innovators in ways where the innovators are not playing a copycat mentality. And because China doesn't have the local consumption as much as it wants, it still has to build products that can be exportable because it's an export economy. So there are those type of things. What do we have going for us in Africa? We have the fact that our young people are now the youngest continent around, the most unemployed continent around, which is a great you know, factor for entrepreneurship. But even more so from a technology standpoint, coming back from being the dark continent to being the continent where we're mobile first, this gives us an upside for innovation. But there are still economic constraints. There are still political constraints. We still have parts of Africa where poverty allows for a lot of innovation not to happen the way it should. Um, we still have you know, basic issues around some parts of Africa. But that doesn't call for, you know, sadness and darkness. In many ways, it's a threat and it's an opportunity, right? So for the rest of the world looking at Africa, those are the things they see. When you see some of these investors coming from outside of Africa into Africa, that's what they see. They see this, they, they see this opportunity where the only way is up. I actually kind of see it this way. I see... Um, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong or perhaps if you see it differently, but I see the way innovation is defined on the continent is very different to many places in the world where, uh, you know, innovation in the U.S. might be a cool new way to entertain myself or a fun way to catch a Pokemon or <laughs> not, not that there's anything wrong with those things, especially if you can monetize them and they can, you know, make you, you know. Nothing wrong with those things. These are, these are, that's, you're right. The, we're solving real problems. But sometimes solving a real problem and trying to scale that real problem and get paid for it, that's the business. We don't have that. We, we just have the solution. But to your point around you know, types of innovation or the way it's defined, Lions Africa and the work that we're doing, you know what I call this? I call this market access innovation. Because when the world doesn't know what Africa is doing, and I'm here making sure that Africa's best entrepreneurs can be live-streamed around the world, can be taken around the world, that's me creating market access back to Africa. Because for everybody who's ever told me, I don't know about Africa. Oh, really? You guys have mobile there? People can call on the phone? Like, really ignorant things. What, what's really happening is, is knowledge arbitrage. It's information arbitrage. 
And until we create these market access methodologies, using technology or otherwise, then we can't go forward. A lot of the investors you see here, they could have stayed home and watched this uh, you know, live streaming on the internet. But they chose to, flu- to fly here, so many of them. Some of them, you know, we compelled them to because it's, it's not enough for you to just see it. Come and, and walk the streets. Come and talk to the locals. Come and visit the markets. Come see the airport. Come, you know, and, and see how the Africa you think you know is not the Africa that's currently attainable. Let's talk about the startup founder's mindset on the continent and what I still feel is an unhealthy obsession with, you know, chasing or trying to be the next unicorn, at least ch- chasing that unicorn magic. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you say to that, to, to startup founders listening to us right now who cling, <laughs> who are clinging quite desperately to the hope that they could be the next Mark Zuckerberg or whoever? Well, I would not dampen their hopes. But I would say this, embrace the reality of your hope. And the reality of your hope is that even in our Mecca, Silicon Valley, the failure rate is 95%. Out of 100 startups, 95% still fail. Even in our Mecca, that is Silicon Valley, 50% of VC-backed startups still fail. I repeat, over 50% of VC-backed startups still fail. So what we find is can do we have a failure do you have a culture that can even accept failure do we have a culture that can accept the fact that you would try something it won't work you do it over and over again if you can do that then you're on your way to becoming a successful business person period when you can do that in unique situations then you can think about being a unicorn so let's just have you grow from being a fetus to an infant to a toddler to you know and and just see that growth for what it is because um it it i would never knock all of these entrepreneurs i love them to death but i have one thing about all of my entrepreneurs i respect them i respect the fact that they chose not to have a day job i respect the fact that they saw something in a particular way and they chose to define a solution i respect the fact that they took risks on their own lives but I also have this very clear reality that out of 27 companies around you today, if you call me 12 months from now, maybe over 60% of them will still be around, right? And I've had that experience for five years doing demo. That's the reality. And every time I speak to them, that's my opening line. I say, guys, I want to love all of you. I want to be friends with all of you. But two years from now, someone, some, some of you will have a day job. Some of you have kids and become family people. Some of you would go back to church and just embrace God, you know. So for whatever it is, realize that this is not for everybody. It's not for the faint of heart. So that's a perfect segue into me asking you what your – do you have a system for picking the winners? I mean, you obviously wear many, many different hats, advisor, mentor, um, executive partner, investor, VC advisor. So what's your system? How do you pick them? You're looking at 30 here at Demo, De- uh, at, uh, Demo Africa pitching these ideas. Only five will get you know, the prize of visiting Silicon Valley and taking this, this journey with you guys further. You might leave some behind that do win after you've left them behind. How do you pick them? The, 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 the whole thing, and let me say this to your audience, the whole thing of picking five is a cost issue. It's, it's, it's not really the fact that you know, we want to see 25 die and only five live. You know what I mean? It's a cost issue. Um, hopefully, as this expands, we'll have a, a lot more partners to bring more people. That being said, 
Um, I picked the five folks. One, your technology has to have a clear path to globalization. And the globalization that I speak about sometimes is Pan-African. It's not about I'm taking you to Silicon Valley to move to Silicon Valley. It's about I'm taking you to Silicon Valley so you can benchmark on industry best practices, so you can get some tools, resources, so you can possibly get capital, so you can possibly get partners. But the, the idea is I want to teach you how to conquer a local market and move to the next one. And the next one sometimes is Cape Town to Joburg, to Harare, to Lusaka, to Lagos. And then you're this Pan-African behemoth company. And when you conquer Africa, you move to Dubai, and then you go to Europe. So this is the first part. Now, someone who hear me on this show and say, but I know this one company that is killing it in Joburg, and like they're the sole provider for technology services in Joburg. That is awesome. We want to teach that as well. There's nothing uh, particularly wrong about business monopolies. What's wrong about them sometimes is when they have legislative backing. But in terms of right of first mover advantage, please take that all day. So that's the first part. We want businesses that can scale. We want founders who are willing learners, who understand what they know and know what they don't know. We want founders who can build teams around themselves because these are critical elements of it. And then we also want folks who have shown a bit of traction so that that way when I'm showing them off to my investor friends at Silicon Valley, it's not really about bare-bone conversations. We want to be able to have regressive and forecast-type data so that we can show you know, true potential. And then finally, you know, these technologies have to be able to stand on their own feet, right? Because when I take these folks to the valley, I put them in situations where they're with other startups of their own age, their own size, and it's like, let me see how you fit into this new school, right? And what you find is my African brothers and sisters most of the time stand their own. You know, there are phenomenal companies here that are doing stuff. The gaps that they have, and I say this to your audience, are not too far off. It's just that sometimes they need that much in consistent support. You know, so building teams, huge gap. You, you, you know, you're a startup, you're not making money, you want to build a team of, of X-Men and, and mutants. Yeah, some of these guys need to be paid, but you don't have money, so what are you going to do? You know what I mean? These are, these are some of the situations. But when you look at the core technology and you look at what's being built, it's a wonderful thing. And if there was one part of the, the tech ecosystem on the continent, and I know it's a big place and I don't want to lump us all in, in one, but if there's one aspect of the pipeline uh, towards, you know, you, know, this, you know, creating a pipeline of amazing businesses that are all investable, which aspect would you, if you could have a magic wand and change immediately today, only one aspect of that, of that ecosystem, what would you change right now with that wand? I will take three strikes at that wand if you, if you allow me. Mentorship capital. A lot of these businesses, a lot of these startups need support systems. Seed capital. A lot of these startups need some type of um, uh, what I would call uh, allowance. So some type of a risk allowance to get them through go or no go. Some grease. Yeah, some grease. Just get me through a go or a no go. Okay. So mentorship capital and, and business support service, risk capital in terms of 
angel and type of early stage seed. And then finally, more often than not, technical capital, where there are, there are folks who are trying to do stuff and build stuff, but they, they lack the fundamental knowledge of the technology that they're doing. I'll give you an example. The technology that Uber and Airbnb and Lyft and most of these new companies that are in the shared economy space are using is fundamentally GPS technology. Okay, GPS technology is a military technology, but it's a global positioning system technology. If you don't understand the way GPS works and you're just buying into an API from Uber, all you're doing is you're Uber adjacent. But if you went back and you knew exactly how it worked, then you can now innovate around your local ecosystem. And ladies and gentlemen, that is where our universities and our educational institutions come into play because these are the founding elements of our next generation of innovators science technology engineering math these are some of the founding um basis but that doesn't stop a lawyer from innovating around the legal practice that doesn't stop a doctor from innovating around the health practices that does not stop a chef from innovating around hospitality and food so i don't want to do stem and make it look like it's all about tech no it's not you know it's it's really about the whole ethos of entrepreneurship risk taken, support services, and the ancillary support. Well, the next time I ask that question, I'll pretend to be a genie and offer the person three, <laughs> three rubs on the lamp. <laughs> My final question to you is, do you have a favorite space in tech that um, sort of is capturing your imagination more than anything else? It doesn't necessarily have to be perhaps the most promising from a, a revenue potential point of view or market size point of view. Uh, it might not even be a global trend. I don't know, health tech, fintech, what's, what's, what's your thing, man? Entertainment. Entertainment, really? Yes. The, the, and ladies and gentlemen of the audience, the value chain for entertainment. This show, my voice, our, our wonderful host and delay, you're all being quasi-entertained and informed. This is edutainment. It's educational entertainment. Whether you're in your car right now in traffic, whether you're listening to this podcast in the bathroom, whether you're shooting pool, because it's Friday and everybody's gone home. If you're in Cape Town, you're on the beach. Wherever you are, this is part of an entertainment system. Entertainment in itself is a human form right now that um, everything we're doing, including Facebook, social, a lot of the things you do now, you do to actually engage your senses and entertain yourself. If you look at the value chain of entertainment, it starts all the way with a single unit of intellectual property, which is a story, an idea, a what-if. But there is equipment involved, there's digital distribution involved, there's talent involved, there are communication media involved, and that is a behemoth beast. So I'm all in for that because um, it, it's one thing that um, a lot more um, ecosystems and industry are built around, but people are not paying attention. Is it because of your proximity to Hollywood and, and, and how we see the, the major sort of the majors buying up, uh, you know, the, uh, the next generation sort of new media uh, plays? And, and we see like a consolidation in that space that we're not seeing quite to the extent in other parts of the world. Perhaps there's an understanding of what you've just said in the U.S., perhaps to a greater extent than, than elsewhere. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, unit, the unit is content, right? That's the unit function. What is audio, visual, textual? It's content. But also look at the subliminals. 
right? Look at this show. Before we started, kicked off yesterday, there was a show of lights and all. Insane, people. Like, you had to be, I don't know, it's probably available online to have a look at, but man, yeah. These are all just to get you fired up and get your sensories up to, ladies and gentlemen, you're about to get into a new world. And this is worth my time. Yes. And this is worth, and just stick around and allow me blow your mind. It's all lights. It's all physics, right? But we had to take those lights and that physics and put it in a way that would be enjoyable to you while we're taking your money, while we're taking your time, while we're keeping away you away from your girlfriend and your family, right? Again, it's the subtlety. Nowadays, you'll hear about Silicon Valley and virtual reality. Take on television at the show, Silicon Valley. Yes, yes. It's all, it's all entertainment. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I suppose you could have just, um, you know, submitted a dissertation, done another master's degree and sent us to a library to go read about it. But no, you're here talking to me. Absolutely. Fantastic. Really, really pleasure speaking to you, Stephen. Um, all the best with Demo. I certainly, we, we certainly wish all, the, all 30 of the businesses that have pitched at this platform all the best. We know that the numbers are not in their favor, but hey, um, we're just glad they're here and we're glad that they're adding to what we hope will become the next wave of success here on the continent. Absolutely. And the African stories must be told. Uh, they will be told uh, for good and for bad, but mostly for good. And um, to our generation of Africans, this generation of Africans, we are the luckiest generation of Africans we've ever been. So the the only way is up. The only way is up. And that, that's how I'm going to leave it. I'm here for that ride, but... <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you.